Welcome to the Mental Health Boot Camp Podcast! <laughs> this is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, review cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a last born child from Pasadena, California. Oh. And I'm Dr. Brooke Lewis, a middle child, only female from British Columbia. And I'm Joanna Boyd, youngest of four from Port Moody. I'm Chris Boyd, second youngest of four from uh, Coquitlam. Well, welcome everybody. Yes, no, no oldest here, huh? No. That's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, we're all dressed up semi-festively for the holidays here. Our second, our second kind of holiday show as we uh, have done this podcast for a little while now. Absolutely. Yeah, it's remarkable that uh, Christmas time is just around the corner. It really is. Just a few more sleeps, but uh, yeah, for... All of the Canadian, not all of the Canadian families, the two Canadian families that are present today were very big Christmas Eve families. So it's almost like more exciting that Christmas Eve is coming than Christmas Day in in a weird way. Christmas Day feels very different from Christmas Eve. What's what's the difference? I mean, I'll give, I'll tell you my American story on this, which I think is shared by a lot of people who celebrate Christmas. Not everyone does, of course. Um, but Christmas Eve is kind of anticipatory. Uh, oftentimes the kids get to open one present that day or that evening. Um, sometimes people go to a church service. Uh, there's often a fairly nice meal. Sometimes people watch a movie, Christmas movie, or uh, read the, the, the story, Twas the Night Before Christmas. And then... Get yourself to bed, kids, because tomorrow morning, you know, Santa's coming tonight, all that stuff. And then the big explosion is Christmas morning with all the presents and gifts and all that stuff. So what's, di- what's different up there? Nope, that's about it. That's but, the same. but still Christmas Eve is the bigger, bigger time? Only just for our two families and anyone else. I don't know if it's like a mass thing. Uh-huh. More just for us. Yeah, it's probably more nostalgic. I know for our family, we get together. Christmas Eve and of course uh, as we're younger have a nice dinner have uh, I think we talked about this in the last year's podcast but the Danish tradition of having rice pudding um, sometimes we go to church um, so yeah we have um, more French I don't know if it's French Canadian tradition of tortier at uh, like a meat pie we have at midnight yeah. as well as some champagne Champagne. After we turned the age of ten, we started having champagne. You know. <laughs> yeah. If you we turn ten. Yeah. Totally kidding. Just in case my parents are listening. Or uh, someone else. Um, yeah, but Christmas Day, of course, growing up was a pretty magical time too. You mentioned the explosion of gifts, waking up and have a hard time falling asleep, and that excitement when you get up. And very fortunate growing up that uh, there's some gifts under that tree, having brunch and whatnot. Um, so I think as we've gotten older, I can't speak for, for Joanna, but I think Christmas Eve is probably takes a little more precedence over Christmas day because of the shift from gifts to connection, 
because now as our siblings have gotten older and have kids they kind of do their own christmas day tradition so uh, we, we all get together on christmas eve still so i think it kind of naturally has gone in that direction mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a good summary of it yeah yeah there's something special about the anticipation too i just yeah and i think it's just the been the what we kind of hold dear because of all the switching traditions like chris said so yeah i still wish yeah. i woke up with the stocking at the base of my bed though because my parents are always good with that and kind of dump it out and I'd sneak into my siblings rooms and kind of see what they got and then there's just like a stillness in the living room it was so quiet and you could see all the presents under the tree like it was very cool kind of before the hustle and bustle it's uh I think as a kid you have so many good memories of that you'd have the stocking on the bed yeah so when we go to bed they're they're hung above the fireplace Uh but when we wake up they're filled and they're kind of on our bed by our feet and uh yeah so they're they were full full to the brim always with the orange at the bottom and uh yeah being usually a book of or um lifesavers was always (laughs) guaranteed too and then (laughs) i remember those where did those go i remember those things so yeah it was just yeah very neat so but anyways uh that's great Yeah, no, our stockings stay by the fire. We never had a mantle on our fireplace. Um, so the stockings were just like on the floor in front of the fireplace. And then, yeah, no, it was, they never made it to our bedrooms, but I would be the early riser waking up. So I'd probably wake up at, I don't know, between three and four in the morning, like just ridiculously way too excited. And my parents' room was right across the hallway from mine and it's everything was on the same floor. So if I left my room and looked left I would be able to see down the hall and into the living room and see the presents and stuff but I knew if Santa hadn't come yet and I saw it then I was risking Santa not coming so I'd like go like this and run across the hall to my parents room and and let them know I was awake and could I get up yet my dad would say no you have to go back to bed so then I'd run across the hall the other way until I was allowed to get up and then I would uh, have toast with my dad peanut butter toast and then when he said I was allowed to wake my brothers up I would go in their room and rip the pillows from under them and hit them with them and let them know that it was Christmas time. Oh. Yeah. That was, I woke them up very excitedly. Yeah. You ended the year on a naughty note, didn't you? I guess so. It was just too much excitement. Hey, the presents are already there. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> How much Santa could do at that point? Not, he's not going to return them. He's not doing that. <laughs> oh, that's great. I do remember getting up and asking my, my parents, can I get up? now can i get up yet you know it's like 3 30 in the morning can i get up now nope no 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 very patient parents yeah they're like it's 3 a.m go back to bed (laughs) exactly exactly just a ball of energy in there though you're like right my dad probably been up until two putting together a bike or something and (laughs) (laughs) can i get up now no yes oh fun that is definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. And we did talk a few episodes ago about the wellness through the holidays and how nostalgia can make things it's fun, but uh, it can be a little stressful for some folks, brings a little sadness too. And that's totally understandable. Yeah. So, and then a, a little segue we also kind of talked about how that stress is sometimes related to family. And now we're going to be, yeah, see the segue. And today's think, topic uh, is actually the book. We have a, a book club today about we, siblings. 
do have a book club, which I guess we might as well just go ahead and hit our intro. Joe, take it away. Oh, um, now hold on. <laughs> the, the audio intro. Your jingle. Oh, your song. <laughs> take the audio <laughs> away. Go. Such a good jingle. <laughs> Way to go, Joe. Way to take it away. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> I totally forgot I was going to do that. Thanks for yeah. the reminder. Well, well, Joe, oh. take it away. You were like really ready to jump in there you with the book ready. in hand. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, the, the book uh, is called The Sibling Effect. What the bonds among oh. brothers and sisters reveal about us. And it's Jeffrey Kluger is the author of that. And I was trying to think, what year was this done? 2017, 2018? I think it was like 2011 or something. Oh. About 10, no, uh, I could be very wrong. You're right, you're right. 2011. 2011, Kluger, who's not a therapist, he's uh, uh, an editor for Time Magazine and written several books on various topics, but uh, I think he was just a little interested in siblings and how they interact with each other and uh, had a lot, to, a lot of story to tell. So Indeed. yeah, lots of personal stories. I mean, I'll start with that. This, yeah, how do you feel about that, Ryan? On a, a book review level, yeah. how do you feel about that? Well, it's... Uh, I, I certainly enjoy storytelling. I enjoy people telling their own personal stories. That makes it interesting and illuminates points for sure. Um, this felt a little a little clunky to me, I've got to say, because it, it felt like at times it wasn't clear whether this is like a memoir, because there's there are a lot of stories about his his own family and his siblings, his brothers. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, okay, is he trying to make this into a memoir or is he trying to use these points to illustrate uh, some of the, the research that he's citing, which he does to some degree, although sometimes his personal stories contradict the research that he's talking about. So I don't know, it felt to me like it didn't always fit. Uh, Chris had alluded in a couple episodes to the, uh, the start of the book and how that's the stories that he's telling at the beginning of the book feel a little bit like, whoa, where, where are we going here? Um, so I'm not sure. I almost feel like it, it could have been split into two books. One that's just talking about the sibling effect and what, you know, what role siblings have and what does the research say. And maybe he just really wanted to also write a memoir about his relationship with the siblings. And maybe that could be a, a little uh, a separate, smaller book. I don't know. So it, to, to summarize, Brooke, it didn't always, didn't always fit with me. Um, uh, Nice at times, but felt like a little too much. Um, what do you, Chris and Joanna, what are your thoughts about the personal stories, the use of personal stories in the book? Um, well, he really starts off the book with a really intense story. So it really kind of sets things off a bit. 
talking about um, just a, a, a parent who would discipline with physical force. And uh, yeah, so uh, I think there's, there's a place for personal stories, especially himself and siblings. And I think that's someone writing a book about siblings. I think it's good to include some of that. So I think it just, it was off balance sometimes, I think, I think, yeah. But I think, I think it's good to have that in a book like this, but the degree to which he did, not necessarily needed that much, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I actually felt a lot of the, the storytelling was quite compelling. It was intriguing. I wasn't, to Ryan's point, I wasn't quite sure what type of book I was reading there at times. I uh, actually kind of felt felt the uh, personal stories are more compelling than the research itself that he was citing. Hmm. So I think he actually used the stories to prop up, you know, some of that research. But um, yeah, it was tough. It was very anecdotal at times. And, you know, he would give a lot of examples from his own life or other examples. And then he would kind of go back on it and say, well, actually, the research is, is very subjective. But I guess we'll get more into that piece of it. Your question was more about the stories itself. But the stories are a huge part of this, of this book. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a roller coaster. And it opened up, uh, you know, uh, in my mind, it was uh, the sibling effect was definitely part of it. But there was also so many other questions I had or influences that I noticed that could have shaped and, and shifted um, who he has become today. By the way, I should say, in his own words, the sibling effect is the profound power your siblings have to, sh to shape who you are and who, who you become. So your parents leave your life all too early. Your spouse and your children don't come along until much later. Your siblings are with you throughout the entire journey. Sisters have ways of socializing brothers into the mysteries of girls. Brothers have ways of socializing sisters into the puzzle that is boys. So that's his own answer in an interview that he did. So I just wanted to throw that out there for a bit of context as we get rolling. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, he definitely hits that point that, you know, he says, friends may come and go, you know, parents may leave before us, but siblings to one degree or another could, could be with us, could be the people who know us throughout our life, right? Um, from our early childhood into our old age, and that's, that's different. We don't always have that with other people. So. so, and he does talk a little bit about how to, or the importance of kind of nurturing those relationships, even as you're, as you're growing older. Yeah. Working through childhood uh, difficulties. Yeah. It's, it's not a self-help book. I want to point that out too. It's not a, a, uh, you know, a how-to book or anything like that. It's very, not very prescriptive at all, but uh, he does talk about some research and, and kind of, poses his own uh, opinions about how ideally, you know, siblings would, uh, would get close uh, and would get close again, maybe in their adulthood because they share these common bonds together. So, yeah. So Brooke, what did you think about the stories? Did you like it? Um, I was, I think I was impartial to them. Like I also started this book very late uh, so my goal was to try and get as far along in the book as humanly possible before tonight. So I, I don't think I was really overthinking it. I was reading it for the sake of reading it. So I, I yeah, I feel like it was quite neutral towards them. Okay. Sometimes I found that there were, I was like, okay, great. Another example, here we go and kind of sped through it. 
um, other ones, I noticed I would slow down and read a little deeper. So they caught my attention more, just kind of depending on where it was or what was going on. It would have been nice to have examples, other examples of siblings, but I guess as well, like he, he's not a researcher of siblings. So, and he's not a clinician that works specifically with siblings or has that breadth, right? So he's not gonna necessarily have the same pool of examples. If that makes sense, like, yep. it, yeah, yeah. So he know, like, he commented on some famous siblings, um, but not really stories about them or research about them, just like one line snippets. So maybe a bit more variety would have been nice and. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so at one point he talks about the, uh, the Kennedys. He talks about the Kennedy siblings and how the oldest Kennedy boy, Joe Jr. had died in, in World War II he was supposed to be kind of the, the, the heir to the throne in a way, kind of the, uh, as, as firstborns, and we'll talk more about birth order goes, but he's kind of supposed to be the, the big shot of the family. But as he died, um, then John, John F. Kennedy kind of stepped into that role. And uh, then, of course, we know what happened with John F. Kennedy. So Bobby Kennedy stepped into that role. So it's like this interesting uh, handing down of this, uh, this kind of primary role in the family and the siblings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, a few things he talks about. Uh, one thing I'd like to, to start with maybe is the conflicts. He talks a lot about the, the way that um, siblings, even in their early, early days, in their childhood, they, they can fight a lot. They fight with each other quite a bit. And uh, a lot of times that's sort of a, a it's a it's an education for them kind of teaching them how to uh to resolve conflict how to engage in conflict when to avoid it that sort of thing mm -hmm. i think yeah. the stat he gave was uh on average they they fight 6.5 times per hour but that was not that was like um like an interaction fight not just like a name call or a push like not a like a microaggression it was actually an engagement of an argument or a fight of some sort so if you were to count the microaggressions it would be much much higher than that so 6.5 times in one hour Woo! once every 10 minutes that's a lot that is a lot that is a lot and and but he says that he believes that that's something that's functional, something that teaches us both kind of some, I guess, some resilience, you might say, or some, some ways to both have love for a person and also have arguments with them. And it's uh, something that's formative for a lot of people. Of course, not all these arguments and fights are constructive. Sometimes they can be very destructive or even traumatizing. So yeah, he kind of highlighted that, didn't he? How a lot of these, uh, I guess they can learn a lot of conflict resolution, but often for these micro arguments, they, everything's totally fine and it blows over and they're hanging out and engaging again. But I guess the, there's bigger disagreements that can take place that could lead to more issues, but. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, he, he cited a study where they, they looked, they talked to uh, kids and, and asked them to pick a, uh, a point of a problem, a point of contention between them and try to come up with a solution and try to figure out how many of them were able to come to a, a good solution. Um, 
how many weren't able to do that or or ones where they just kind of gave up on the process, like they just kind of stepped away. Um, and for the most part, the kids were able to come up with a, a reasonable solution to their problem. They were, and oftentimes it was a compromise, not always. Sometimes one kid just won, the other didn't, but they would oftentimes find a, a, a compromise. He also They also did the same study with a parent involved and found that to some degree, it was a little bit better when a parent was involved. Not all the time, because parents tend to talk too much. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised. Uh, but they would uh, they were able to come to some resolution. Yeah. Didn't yeah, you that talk resolution about took a little bit longer, right? Like it took about double the amount of time compared to when they were left to their own devices. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But sometimes he, he will present studies and then he'll kind of critique the only the studies that he presented, right? Like for instance, didn't he talk about the bystander effect or not bystander effect, but the, uh, the observer effect. Someone's observing the interactions. Mm -hmm. The kids are more likely to, to be collaborative and, and compromise, right? So it was more challenging to see how kids handle these situations in a real life scenario. Is it, did I understand that correctly? That um, it was yeah. more, a little more difficult to, to kind of record that. Sure. Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely true. The, the Hawthorne effect, right? That's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So there's, there's a lot of that. And to, and to be fair, he, he did try to talk about the limitations of, of some of the research, uh, to a, a large degree, especially when he got into the birth order stuff, which mm -hmm. might be a segue into birth order for us. Yeah, probably. Probably. Is there a well-known psychologist or psychiatrist who spent a lot of time talking about birth order? Jeez, I'm not sure who that was. Sigmund Freud? No, no. Maybe a little bit, actually, but not. No. Carl, yeah, Young? No. Alfred Adler. Yeah. Oh, Marfa. it wasn't one of us that said it. It was Chris. Chris We're mentioned it Adler today. I'll talk about That's evolutionary a, psychology at some point. We'll do a trade-off. <laughs> We're fortunate to have two Adlerians here. Yeah, so. so we can have a broad discussion about this. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, Adler, he, he taught, we learned about uh, birth order when learning more about Adlerian stuff, but yeah, he just talked about how birth order can kind of shape a child, um, can shape their development or his, a theory says that it, um, depending where you're born in terms of uh, your siblings could um, have some predictors regarding your development and your personality, essentially. Um, he did know that there's other things that um, would also be included, like to, that would uh, shape personality, like family, community, um, other aspects. But he did say that birth order was one of those things mm -hmm. that summarizes it very vaguely. Not only that, but there's also this idea that that the different places in the family tend to be predictive of certain personality characteristics, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So the idea that firstborns tend to be blank, you know, middleborns this and lastborns that, and even mm -hmm. uh, to only children as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we were uh, briefly discussing birth order before we came on and said, "Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! We should save this." So yeah, part of what we're talking about as well is that when Adler created these, 
uh, it was quite some time ago. And so nuclear families were more common than uh, split families or blended families, right? So I think that's something to take into consideration as well. Like, uh, so the book did it, I thought the book did a good job on that, like saying, hey, there's all these other, there's factors or influencing pieces. And just because you are the oldest child at one point of your life doesn't mean you're always the oldest child, mm -hmm. right? You, if you end up in a blended family and all of a sudden you might be a middle or a youngest and how does that impact you? Or if, uh, yeah, like that might get shuffled a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, didn't he, didn't um, in the book, he say like, there are a lot of studies compared families where that can be tricky, like more research should be done just within the family dynamics, like, because there's just so many different factors at play um, mm -hmm. regarding what makes a family the way they are. And it's so mm -hmm. hard to be like, well, that, yeah. So that was also, I think, a critique of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some other factors as well, with cultural, cultural factors, um, and then evolutionary factors of firstborn and resources and what resources do you like? <laughs> so see, <laughs> another factor is like socio, yeah, socioeconomic um, status as well. Sure. And he definitely hit on just the, the, the sign of the times in that nowadays, you know, when a lot of this research, maybe early research was being done, there was, it was conducted with a lot of nuclear families, right? Two parents two, four, five kids, something like that. Whereas nowadays, you know, there could be a whole host of arrangements that makes makes up the modern family, right? Um, blended families and uh, people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds. So uh, really hard with all those variables as a researcher, really difficult to, to, to tease out what, you know, anything you can really generalize about an oldest child or a middle child when there are all these different factors involved. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I think you can broaden that to the sibling effect in general, that it's, again, it's almost an impossible, impossible task to, to uh, study uh, the impact of these sibling relationships because there's so many of these confounding factors. There's so many other factors at play, right? Mm -hmm. So I do think he does a good job of presenting all the information out there and he talks about uh the studies as well as the limitations of it so i think he does a good job with that part of it obviously with lots of uh, stories of his own and uh, examples and whatnot but it's uh, i think it's a, a challenge of 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 it is just this i think the research is, is slim right and yeah well that's true it's true and yet and yet research and they say, you know, statistics, statistics aren't perfect, right? Um, there's, there's lies, damn lies, and then statistics, right? So there's, uh, it's really difficult. But it, at the same time, you can look at some things, even anecdotally, and see that there may be some, some things that are, are trends, at least. And there are always exceptions to the rule here. But he looked at, for example, uh, members of Congress. And members of Congress tended to be firstborn. Um, and on a pretty overwhelming, over the majority of, uh, of people in the, the U.S. Congress are, are, are firstborns, at least at one point. I'm not sure if this is, of course, it isn't current research, but um, historically that had been the case. Um, a, a number of CEOs of, of companies uh, brought together and 
majority of them were firstborn, uh, followed by middleborn, followed by youngest tend to be the, the least uh, uh, likely to become the CEO. So this, these, some of these trends that you see, you know, and, and maybe there are multiple factors involved, but uh, when you just look at it like that, there's a, a trend towards firstborns being a little more, I guess, ambitious in that way, you might say, I don't know. Yeah, there could be, I think there's some, um, well, it depends too. I think there seem to be more like leadership roles or kind of higher achievers. And I think leadership can come into place if you have younger siblings and you have to kind of take care of them or kind of, um, you know, uh, demonstrate that responsibility uh, for your younger siblings. Um, I think there's a lot of attention sometimes placed on firstborns from parents, you know, a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of attention at first. And then um, I think it just, yeah, hard workers, leadership. You called like the kin role or, or the kin keeper or something like that? Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. For the firstborns tend to be the ones who organize the family reunions, uh, research the family tree, this sort of thing mm -hmm. where they're kind of the, the ones who are in charge of that, they tend to yeah. be. Yeah, unless if the firstborn is unable to do so because of physical, mental, emotional reasons, then uh, an act of dethronement happens by the second born. And then those, the second born then absorbs sort of those qualities or traits and becomes the planner, the kinship, the leader, the caregiver, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. This kind of makes me think of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book. I forget which book it is, but he's got so many good ones about the hockey players up in Canada. So he did a massive, or I guess there's a study done and the vast majority of professional NHL players or professional hockey players were born in January and February. That's the, the 10,000 hours book. Tipping okay. point. What, what's it called? Is it tipping, tipping point? point? Tipping point. Oh, okay. I think so. Think so. Yeah. So, about, yeah, when you're born during the year, how that plays a role as well. Yeah. So hypothetically, like, can't, wouldn't that be kind of applicable to the older sibling as well? You're, you're, you're the firstborn, you're, you're bigger. Um, you have more opportunities, perhaps you have more focus just based on your maturity. Um, you know, there might be circumstantial factors in terms of why the firstborn may have opportunities that the second, third and fourth born don't have. It was also, uh, they were mentioning, which is true when you think about it, right? So the firstborn and lastborn are the only two siblings that have one-on-one -on -one time with the parents. So the firstborn has sole attention from the parents until the secondborn comes around. But then the youngest gets sole attention once everyone's moved on and become independent and doing their thing, right? So the middle, it's the middle ones, um, yeah, that don't get that one-on-one. -on -one, so that might impact development as well. Sure, and, and competitiveness as well among the, uh, the siblings, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And that was interesting too, like the competitiveness uh, or just thinking about it in that age range when he was saying um, like when a baby sibling comes, if the sibling that's already there is under the age of four, then we see regression as they're competing because they're seeing that uh, like attention and focus is being put on the baby for these behaviors, rightfully so, the baby needs to be changed and fed and all the rest of it. Um, and at that age, 
the sibling when they're under four still needs that attention from the parents to survive. They still need that. But around the age of four, the child becomes a little bit more independent where they're able to somehow figure out how to feed themselves and find food and do these different things. So if they're over the age of four, then that regression or conflict doesn't seem to happen as much, which I thought that was a really interesting piece, actually. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Also, thought it was interesting too the how the some of the younger siblings have to develop or focus more on humor or creativity or taking risks to get that attention from parents or to stand out from the bunch. So I thought that was interesting. I can't remember what if that was again just based on more qualitative observations or if that was based on studies, but yeah. It's you and me, Joe. Uh, yeah. But how about the middle child? So since we kind of touched on the older and young or youngest there, like middle children will add their set it and other studies have shown the middle child might be more the peacekeepers the, of the family, um, whether they're kind of having to find their own niche or niche, depending where you live um, in the family and they might be more good at negotiating or compromising. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it was said too in the book, they might be more likely to find outside like to have more friends outside the family or kind of seek so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, more focus on peer relationships. Um, mm -hmm. but sometimes they might get lost in the chaos of things. So sure. those are some of the, what you might stereotypical middle child. Mm -hmm. I, I'm gonna scratch that niche, niche there, Joe, and uh, say that maybe they have to be, do well interpersonally just to, you know, there's a very different dynamic there, communicating, connecting with an older sibling versus a younger. So you're kind of in the middle there. So maybe you have to be a little more savvy at that perhaps. Mm -hmm. Totally. But, yeah. Yes. Um, there was a television program down here in the States. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with it. It's called The Brady Bunch. I was just thinking you were going to say that. <laughs> they also Brady have an Bunch. excellent Christmas episode. Which we should all watch this year. A very Brady Christmas. Yes. Of course. Wow. With the mine getting stuck in the mine. Ugh. Oh no. Which I I find it interesting because oftentimes my, my thoughts go to that when talking about birth order stuff because actually the uh, Marsha, Jan, Cindy siblings really do sort of personify a lot of the. Uh, the birth order stereotypes, I guess. Marsha is the oldest and she's really confident and outgoing and really sure of herself and does, does her own thing. Cindy is the youngest and she's always wearing pigtails and she's, she has a little lisp and she uh, is just plays a very cute role on the show. And Jan, the middle child, is complaining about it all the time <laughs> or oftentimes. The whole line from her, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Like, why is everyone always talking about her? Get yeah. Her away. Which I don't know if they consulted with Adler or any Adlerians in the uh, creation of that that role, but it's it's I find it kind of interesting that those really do kind of fit the stereotype, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of TV shows plays play off the stereo birth order stereotypes, right? Sure. Yeah, it's part of the humor. Because I think naturally, I mean, these traits or they, like the patterns happen for a reason. Um, there, there's probably patterns to it. And, yeah. Yeah. 
well, let's get personal here. Right? We can chuckle yes. out of it. Always get a chuckle. Can we get personal about this for a second? Yes. I'm curious about how these birth order discussions or anything, how does that fit into your own family system, do you think? Do you, do you think that it aligns for you guys or is it, uh, does it, are you outliers? I'd be curious to get Chris's thoughts on me as the youngest child and I can give my thoughts on him as a middle child since we're in the same family. But I yeah. think in some ways us and our two siblings do fit into some stereotypical um, birth order traits. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you'd agree with that, Chris. We have an older sister, Carolyn, who's, she's the eldest and she's always been kind of the doer and very good with, um, yeah, just leadership. She literally is an HR and kind of takes care of people in that way. Um, we have the second who's Jeff, who's always, always the comic and always the one, the making jokes and um, into more of the comedy. Um, I think Chris is very much, yeah, I don't know. Um, definitely good people skills and um, definitely good at the negotiating, but you've always just had a really good community of people around you. Um, yeah, I don't really know for myself if I'm not necessarily a big rebel in terms of the youngest child, stuff like that, but I think I've definitely been, I don't know. What would you say, Chris? Yeah, I think um, for myself, I, I think I've probably a little more reckless and and uh, risk-taking, um, impulsive, maybe in some ways, um, which I guess would typically be more of the younger child traits, I think. Which you were for a while. Which I was for a while, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, Joanna, I think in a lot of ways you embody the traits of the oldest sibling. They offer that stability and consistency and, and keep the family together. Um, less risk-taking behaviors than the rest of us, for sure. So, yeah, it, you know, it's, so I think in some ways we fit, fit the mold, but in lots of ways we don't, right? Mm -hmm. So we can probably pick certain traits that do, but I could probably pick, you know, also traits that don't, right? Yeah, well, but with I, Joanna though, as well, we mentioned this before the taping, but um, it changes if there's four years or more between the sibling. So if, which between you two there is, right? Isn't there four years between you two? Yeah. Chris yeah. was, yeah. So in which case, Joanna would take more of the role of like an only child or an oldest sibling. Like she would, according to Adler, at least. So yeah, if there's four years or more than that, you would no longer fit the stereotype of the youngest. Yeah. But I think um, in some ways, our oldest sister, we always joke around, but older sister was definitely really rebellious in her teenage years and didn't quite have that, uh, the stability um, but as she got older, my goodness, she really took over that role, uh, for sure. But yeah, it's, it's quite subjective, but we are also very, very, very fortunate that you know, we all had very strong attachments with our parents. And, um, yeah, to, to my knowledge, like, you know, the, uh, in the book, Jeffrey, he talks about how it's usually like kids who have stronger, uh, connections or who are, um, favored by the parents and to my knowledge I don't know if you disagree Joe but I don't think any of us were favored more than the, the rest I think they're extremely good at trying to adapt and, and honor our differences and be supportive in so many different ways 
but unless Joanna is the favored one and they just kept that from me, which could be the case, but yeah, keep that from you. Your dad says it every week. I know. I think he's joking, isn't he? No? Um, but I don't, <laughs> as a, yeah, I don't remember that being a big thing. I know as adults, I think it's joked about sometimes of who might be the favorite and it's usually joked about that it's me, but I don't, um, I think they've done a very good job of, yeah, not really making any favorite. I think anyways, I'd agree with you, Chris. Um, Je Jeffrey in the book, I, I wonder, he talked about favoritism and he says, even if your parents say there isn't, there always is. He just seemed very um, clear cut on that. But he, he says a point and then he said like, you know, look, they're your first child, you have all these pictures and albums and then come the second and third child, there's not as many pictures. And I'm like, that doesn't necessarily mean that one child is more of a favorite. It's just, have you been a parent with multiple kids? Like that just doesn't happen. Like, yeah, like I just don't think that was a point to prove there's favoritism. So I found that a little bit with some of his stuff. I was like, mm -hmm. the, the younger sibling tends to be shorter. Look at Eli Manning and Peyton Manning. See, that's where it happens. And it's like, yeah. I'm actually taller than my sister. <laughs> you know, like I-, yeah, it's, I found it's like confirmation bias at times. It's like yeah. seeking information examples that fit his points, yeah. right? Yeah. He happened to pick at the beginning of the book, all those, the president's um, younger siblings who were not doing well. And it just made it seem like the younger sibling is uh, gonna like go into debt or, or have addiction or really not do well under the shadow of the older sibling. And I just think that was, um, yeah, I just don't think yeah. that's the case across the board. So anyways, just a few issues I had, I think with the book, I found myself being like, oh man, I feel like that doesn't really prove a point at all. But he also mentions that, that on average or wherever the study was that uh, siblings tend to lose three IQ points for every sibling going going down. Mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, that just can't be. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> impossible. impossible. But it wasn't, but wasn't that like the effect size, right? I'm not sure how, sure. again, the study he was referring to, I think was, wasn't it based on 10 people or something? I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't massive. And clearly um, there are older siblings who, who conducted that study. I've got exactly. I just back back to the favoritism thing. Um, you know, I've been I've been with you guys in, in person a few times and, and I've I've seen both of you guys give talks before and uh and, and hung out with your families. And I've heard both of you jokingly refer to yourselves as your parents' favorite child, right? <laughs> giving a talk or starting a presentation you know here i am i'm my parents favorite child and just, which sure. i know it's a joke and it's just a way to kind of poke fun at all of that but uh i just think it's funny that you guys you know if i ever send my mom my mom money for something through like an interact transfer you have to have like a question and a password so uh i'd be like your favorite your your the question is or the uh was who's your favorite child and then uh so my mom's really sharp. She's like, oh, it's great. I got in the fourth try. <laughs> Doesn't miss a beat. But I, but I think uh, the reason why we joke around about it is because it's not a point of contention. Like you're really, it's not a, it's not something that has been an issue growing up, but. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah. Also, I've got to say that it's, uh, it would be tough to be a peacekeeper in a family where there's actually no conflict. So, you know. You're, you're, got, you're out of luck. You got nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, if you're a middle child and try to keep the peace, but everyone's pretty cool, then you kind of you don't really have much to do. 
good point. There it is. <laughs> is there a lot of um, fighting amongst like you, Carolyn, and Jeff at all? Um, yeah, well, growing up, of course, you, again, these dynamics are so different among families, but I definitely wanted to play more by myself. But with that separation, we, you know, my Jeff and I would definitely disagree on things and battle it out. Carolyn kind of did, you know, she was a little bit older and kind of focused more on friendships, I think. I don't think she played as much with us, but definitely disagreements, but they started to decrease the older we got. Mm -hmm. So as we got out of high school, I think that's where they started to become less frequent, but nothing crazy major, you know, no yeah. major conflicts there. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. yeah, no, but we were fortunate because we are very, very close. And there's a lot of reasons why that is. Um, but I'm curious about your, your, the dynamics there with your siblings. Yeah. Brooke and Brooke, Ryan. Let's go. What do you got? Um, I'm middle child, uh, but only girl. So I think that makes a, a bit of a difference hmm. as well. Older sure. brother's three years older. Younger brother is one year younger, like hmm. 16 months or something like that. So we're almost like Irish twins. I think they call it right. When you have two children, different birth years, but within 12 months of each other. Yeah. So, um, like, but yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think I dethroned my older brother and took the roles of the oldest because I'm the kin keeper. Like I am the, I host the family dinners. I organize the events. I make sure all the things are taken care of and that kind of stuff. Um, but I was definitely more middle child in the sense of like, yeah, more independent, more social focused, um, that sort of thing. And Kind of having to compromise a lot as well although I, I think my brothers compromised a lot too with me being a girl they had to compromise sometimes to the things maybe maybe i wanted to do different things than what they wanted to or tv shows or growing up that kind of stuff yeah but uh i think i have many traits of a middle child i kind of chuckle at those but i also have some of an oldest for sure yeah mm. But my older brother definitely has more of like the care, like the nurturing caregiver part. And then I'm more the like logistical take care of things part. The doer. Yeah, I'm the doer, but he's the, um, I will drop anything to help you do what you need to do. And I'm going to check in on you if you're not feeling well. And I'm going to worry about you if you're not feeling well. Like he's uh, definitely more that way. Yeah, yeah. And then my younger brother, I think there's some traits of a younger, more in the sense of like wanting to keep up. Like I wouldn't consider him, yeah, like like attention seeking or appearing young or any anything like that. I think he was kind of on par, but wanting to keep up, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's good. Uh, were you protective of him? Did you ever find yourself like protecting? Huge, hugely protective of him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think both of my brothers are hugely protective of me back. I'm protective of my older one as well, but not as much. Um, more my, yeah, more towards my younger. Yeah. If there was a, a, uh, 
I don't know, an issue that would fit this in the family. Would you and the siblings kind of bond together versus parents ever? Was that the sort of thing? Like, where are we going on vacation? Well, we're all voting for this. You guys vote, you know, that sort of thing? Um, maybe we might have bonded to like, I don't know, do what, like try and sway them for something, but they never really fell for that anyway. My parents were pretty good with boundaries around that stuff. Yeah. So I don't think it would have ever really worked. Yeah, probably not. And then, yeah, I don't think uh, similar for favorite children stuff. I don't think my parents really, I think they were quite diplomatic as well. Like they, they treat us all slightly differently based on what we all need. Like if that makes any sense and they connect with us all differently based on how we all like to connect. Um, and there, there were different resources poured into different people, but those resources were to play to their strengths, if that made any sense. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think they did really well there. And maybe at different times in life, they might have had different favorites as they went through. But I don't think that they have, like, whoever was the easiest one in that moment was probably their favorite for that year. But now that we're all adults, I don't think that that's really the case. I think that they're, yeah, I think when we think of favorites, it's not just like the, uh, the emotional love or connection, I think is there for all of us. It's just who they need to then uh, support more with resources. So then I, I think that's kind of the misconception for kids growing up is different children need different things at different times, but that's not actually love. That's just... Right helping that person develop, so. That's a great point. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So here's a little favoritism Christmas crossover here. I remember being like seven years old and asking my mom, uh, mom, which, which present from the three of us did you like the most, right? Mm -hmm. her saying, her saying, well, I liked them all very, you know, equally and you, you know, I loved what you got me. And I said, hmm, okay. Well, which present did you give to us that you felt was the best present? <laughs> and that's really, when you knew you'd be a therapist. I was, I was looking for angles there. How else could I, you know, discern this? You distill this little down a little bit. But no, still didn't get anywhere. She she blocked me on all those. <laughs> that was yeah. funny. That what about fun. in your your family, Ryan? How are you with the? Uh, you're the youngest. Do you think you? Take yeah, I'm I'm the youngest, and so it, it's my sister, and then my brother, and they're two years apart, and then five years, and then me. Um, so I was I was youngest, like obviously the youngest, right? Um, they had they had already built up a whole relationship between the two of them that was pretty strong by the time I came around. Um, but I think I both, I think I, I definitely uh, benefited a lot. My sister was uh, certainly a very nurturing person. She's the one who taught me to read as a kid. She also taught my brother to read. Um, and I think my, my first word, her name's, her name's Barbara, but we called, used to call her Barbie. But my first word was actually Bobby, trying to, I couldn't say the R, you know. So I actually said her name first. She was uh, a very central figure in my life, for sure. Um, so, and, and also just as far as firstborn stuff, she also pretty ambitious and, and, uh, 
and, and very driven and, and social and, and all of these different things in her life. So she, she had a lot of those qualities. My brother um, was more the rebel. He was more uh, kind of stepping out, doing his own thing, kind of marching to his own drum a lot of times. Very, very smart, very uh, gifted and talented, um, but uh, definitely liked to, to bend the rules when he, whenever he could. And he and I fought quite a bit because um, I was the pesky younger brother. I would, I would try to tag along with him all the time. I would, you know, imitate him, all that kind of stuff. And he would tease me mercilessly. I mean, it was, it, it got pretty, pretty brutal at times. Um, so yeah, we were probably those siblings who would fight uh, six times an hour. <laughs> but honestly, we, we wouldn't, I'd, I'd try to play with them for an hour. And I don't think he would do that. He was like, oh, I don't want this little guy around, you know, get away from me. Um, but uh, I also learned because he did get in trouble a bit more than I did. He was a little more aggressive in that way. I, I felt, I always felt like I kind of learned what not to do by some of the things that he would do, you know? I'd look and see, oh, this is the sort of thing that gets you in trouble. So I'll step away from that. I won't go there. And uh, as a result, I didn't get in trouble quite as much with my parents, which was fine. Um, and I do think that my role, I, I resonated with a lot of the, the stuff he was saying in the book as being kind of the, the comic relief or kind of the um, creative, jokey, you know, the, the, the youngest sibling being being there kind of as a uh, entertainment at times, you know, like I particularly remember sitting around the dinner table, I'd make weird faces or, or say silly things and it would kind of break the tension at times or, uh, you know, make everyone laugh. And that was, that was a lot of fun. There were other factors involved, of course. Um, you know, it was, there was, there was some tension in the, in the family for sure. And I kind of felt like I, I, I kind of needed to do that at times because there was there was some tense moments, but uh, um, as we grew up, though, I, I really think that a lot of those differences. My sister is still very loving and nurturing and warm, and she'll have me to Thanksgiving once in a while, that sort of thing. Um, and my brother and I are are in a good place. We no longer fight with each other. <laughs> we no longer have physical battles with one another. Uh, but I think that we're, I think it's like things kind of evened out uh, as we got uh, got to adulthood, you know. There, there's yeah. certainly my my big siblings, you know. I, I look to them for guidance and advice, that sort of thing, once in a while. But uh, I think, as far as our personalities are concerned, I think we've kind of evened out. Cool. You guys, um, you and your siblings live in different cities, right? Your brother's up in Portland, and yeah, sister's in San Fran, I think, right? You're yeah. down in Pasadena, so. Yeah, so that shifts things a bit in terms of how often you can communicate and connect. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, uh, one of the best things for us has been having a uh, text thread together because we, you know, nice. we have a little group group text that the three of us will uh, share different little bits about our own families or funny things going on in our lives, and that's uh, that's been a great way for technology to help us in a very easy way stay connected. Cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think my relationship with my siblings now that we're adults has gotten a lot closer since we started a text thread, which was really just a few years ago. I don't know why we didn't do yeah, it 10 years ago, but it's really, I don't know, it's probably been five years or so. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. 
It really is. It works out really well. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's good. Thanks for sharing the personal side of this. Um, it's interesting. I also having kids, right? I have a two kids. They're about two and a half, three years apart from one another. And they have uh, their own personalities and their own their own quirks. It's interesting because I've caught myself through the years, oftentimes thinking, you know, I kind of feel like my younger child behaves like an, a firstborn uh, more so than my older child, <laughs> which is kind of kind of an interesting thought. And maybe that's again, that's maybe my own stereotypes of what that what that should look like or what that might look like. Um, the younger one is, is just more, I guess, kind of assertive and kind of knows what he wants. And well, I'm just going to go for this. And he'll even boss the, the older one around a little bit. Um, and I guess I just, that's just about me kind of having to reconfigure what my, my thoughts are about uh, birth order. But uh, it is, it is interesting. I was, I've often caught myself wondering, I wonder what it'd be like if, if that was switched, if the, if the person in, who was the firstborn became the second born. That kind of we have to switch. I wonder what that those relationships would look very, very different, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not that we can do that, but it is an interesting thought experiment, at least. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of neat for you to observe those dynamics, eh? Especially as a psychologist as well. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yes. I make those observations and then I charge them. I <laughs> I take yeah, money take out of their college fund to put it in my. I was pocket. gonna say, yeah, deduct their fund. <laughs> yeah. Um, therapeutically, though, th th I know that that question comes up quite a bit. Do you have any siblings? And what's what are your if it's an older sibling or younger sibling? You know, what is your sibling up to right now? I often ask that question. Try to understand the dynamic there. Are they close? Or are they not? Yeah. What are those dynamics like within the family? So mm -hmm. I think within all intake sessions or first sessions, I think I usually do ask about siblings, right? You know, I've, in the last few years, I've, I've, I've changed that general question to who was in your household growing up, right? Mm -hmm. Because there, there are a couple of times where I got caught asking about siblings and then found out later on, oh, there were like three other people living in the house as well who may also have a big influence on their lives. So yeah, good point. I certainly, yeah, I certainly want to know the, who the siblings are, but who was in your household? Who all was there? You might find yeah. other people around. Oh, for sure. And that's a really good point. But I try, I try not to have any preconceived notions in terms of what that means, sure. to be honest. So when it comes to sibling or order, I just try to get their perception of it or under, try to understand those dynamics that they grew up in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's super important. Yeah. So. yeah, and how their relationships are now, and yeah, I think there's a lot to that, right? Because they create, these relationships then create templates for later on in life for different things, whether that's, you know, authority figures at work, or if it's friendships, or relationships, or yeah, yeah the family unit is just learning how people interact together. Sure, and uh, it's not always... Um, the younger sibling that is struggling and the older sibling that has it all together. It's been flipped around quite a few times as well. But those dynamics can be very difficult as well for, 
for clients or for individuals is that one sibling is just rocking it. Everything's just kind of connecting for them. The other one is the uh, struggling a bit and what that means within the, again, that family context and dynamic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to ask the question, what, what was your role in your family? Me too, okay. I like to ask that as well. Yeah. Without, without making any assumptions, I guess, about birth order stuff in particular, but you know, what's, what generally was your role? And people usually have an answer. I mean, it's mm-hmm. oftentimes a, a real role, at least they felt they played, you know, might not, might be different perceived by others, but at least for them, they felt they played this certain role. And that's all that really matters in therapy. Yep. What is your perception of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So do you guys, just out of curiosity, even though I, like I'm around the Boyd family quite often, but I don't think I've ever asked you guys this question, but as adults, when you're around your siblings, so holidays are coming up, if we do end up seeing our families at the holidays, do you ever feel that you fall back into those old traps of birth order or where, like pecking order or like, you know, as if you were eight years old? Like, this is my role at the table. This is my role in the family. This is how people, inter- like, do, do those old themes come back to you? Good question. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, yeah, it's a hard one for me to answer. I think as I sometimes am aware that I'm the youngest or I sometimes maybe get it in my head that um, I might not know as much about something or I might not be taken as seriously. Um, yeah but so I think that's that still happens at times for me but uh, I'm putting that out there I'm not necessarily getting that from people Mm -hmm. Uh, I just might yeah think uh yeah think about that sometimes yeah for sure our our brother is he's pretty he can be quite outgoing has his moments quite humorous so uh, sometimes he can carry the conversation a bit or Uh, so I think in maybe the family dynamic compared to maybe how I converse with friends or the dynamic with friends, I may sit back a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dinner table, um, listen yeah. a bit more. So maybe that's that's something, perhaps. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Chris. Me, me as well. Yeah, yeah. So once it's in that dynamic and the things are happening, then I'm definitely less a retreat more. For sure. And I yeah. definitely feel that like everyone goes back into their roles of the unit. And then there's expectations that the people do that, or you just know how they're going to interact with each other or whatever. It's very interesting. I don't think my family has really grown out of that interaction yet, even though there's like nephews and nieces or grandchildren for my parents or whatever. They And then they have their own layer of how they interact and what happens. And yeah, it's really interesting. What about for you, Ryan? I do think some things are similar, but I agree with Joe. I like like your point there, Joe, that I think a lot of it is probably in my head to start off with. You know, I might make an assumption of, oh, I'm I'm the youngest. I don't, you know, I don't get to make the decisions or I need to defer to others. But I think my siblings actually do a really good job of including me in a lot of that. But to having said that, like I said before, my like my siblings have their own sort of established relationship I feel like like they have they have a diff, like a sense of humor that they really make each other laugh you know and I'm um I just I just don't have that same impact on them you know which I just think that goes way back to when they were little kids 
Um, but I do feel like I belong. And in fact, um, a few years ago, uh, my, my sister asked me to perform her wedding ceremony. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great, a great honor, a huge honor, you know? So I was happy to be the baby brother uh, marrying my sister. I mean, performing the ceremony, right? <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I do think there's 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 some that's probably just remnants in my own head. You know? Such a Freudian thing to say, you know. Uh, yes, there is. it certainly is. Um, yeah, how impactful that must have been, though. Yeah, know, I knocked it out of the park. I I had a lot of fun. It was it was a lot of fun. It was it was a nice time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, good questions. Well, let's get back. Let's get down to rating this book, shall we? This is something that we do when we don't actually talk to the author in a interview. We uh, rate the book on a scale of one to 10. What would you give the sibling effect? Okay, I have a number. Oh, that's right. We're not going to tell, we're, we're going to, should I write it down? I don't know. Don't we usually just take turns and, and explain well, why quickly? Oh, well, well, we don't well, want we don't want anyone to change their their vote. We had feedback you know? from a listener oh. who said maybe you should write it down somewhere and then. Uh, Actually, we were supposed to write it down before we even discussed it, but uh, that's okay. We'll do it this way. I'm going to write it down on this piece of paper. What I give the sibling effect. Show it at the same time. You ready? One second. We're gonna explain why once we yeah once we show it. I just don't. We don't want to feel biased by one another's. Okay. Votes. Okay. Yeah. I wrote down my number. Okay. Ready? Okay. I'm gonna show my number. I gotta. I gotta pass. Are we all showing at the same time? Let's yeah. try. Okay. Ready? One, ready? Two, two, three, three. Go. Oh, Joy can't read it. Oh, I see it. I see it. Wow, that's pretty wow. close. Wait, so what's, for the people what's yours, Ryan? Mine's a six. Wow. Ryan, six, Brooke is a six, Chris is 6.1, and I'm 5.75. Wowzers. Wow. That is, is the closest we've ever been. That's amazing. Yes. What a reveal. That was exhilarating. <laughs> that was like Christmas Eve. My gosh. <laughs> we should do this every book, book podcast. I just love your numbers, eh? I do. I do love my numbers. You do. There's such comfort in numbers. They're great. Um, six. Well, we all gave a round of six, right? I guess it would average to be just right about six. So, uh, why? <laughs> Who wants to I, go? Yeah, I, I. I just thought it was okay. Like, I don't know. I think there's value in it. I think he puts together a lot of research, um, kind of Malcolm Gladwell in that way, just like, here's all these things that I've just read up on. Um, I think it's good having some of his own personal experience and some food for thought, but there's some stuff that I just didn't necessarily agree with, or I just kind of questioned like the confirmation bias stuff. And um, yeah, just some of the language he used. I just, yeah, I was like, I think it's okay. I'm probably not going to look at it again. Not really probably going to recommend it to anyone. Um, but I just think there's some, if someone's interested in the sibling stuff, you're going to find some interesting stats in there to think about. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I agree with what you said. Yeah, I think um, it's easy to read. Like, so uh, a variety of skill levels could read this book. And I think if you're interested in siblings, you're going to learn something from it. You're going to take away things. Um, it's going to make you think. It's going to make you think about yourself and be introspective. Is it the, the best book out there? Probably not. Is it the worst book? No, not at all. So I'm like, kind of like neutral, but maybe slightly better than neutral. I, I would recommend it to someone if, it, if I really thought it was going to be the right fit with a disclaimer of like, this is going to give you a good snapshot maybe of some of those interactions or birth order, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it would have a disclaimer with the recommendation for sure. Chris? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I agree with what you're both saying. Um, uh, yeah, I thought uh, as, you know, you mentioned Malcolm Gladwell, Gladwell, like there's usually a flow to the story. Um, I, I think Jeffrey, he does a good job of presenting all the information that's out there when it comes to sibling studies, but it's thin. It's um, the research is, you know, often, um, you know, he often says like the problem is that there's no, nothing that's super proven here or something that's super firm. So he, but then he adds a whole bunch of uh, examples and anecdotes. So he, he says that it's tough to prove this, then he'll go back to, you know, the, um, the confirmation of, of these theories through examples, you know, so it was kind of this back and forth type of dynamic there. Um, I, I thought the personal stories were quite interesting and compelling, like, but, um, you know, I think it was kind of propped up by, by unfortunately, uh, a area of research that needs a lot more attention. So is the sibling effect real? Absolutely. Are there other factors that are probably more prevalent and more impactful? Absolutely. Um, so. Oh, Brian has a thing. Yeah. Hey guys. Um, just as a little special Christmas treat here, I just ambushed my sister. Uh, my sister, Barbara Howes from uh, the Bay Area, and she's on the phone right now. Barb, can you hear us? I can. Hi. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Barb. Hi. <laughs> All right. So I just uh, pulled her on, and she doesn't really even know what we we're talking about. We were talking about siblings and uh, this book, The Sibling Effect. And I was talking about how, um, how Barb was... I felt like a uh, an ideal kind of older sister, older sibling. She she did have leadership qualities and all of that. But I just was curious from from your point of view, Barb, how do you feel like we as siblings kind of interacted with one another? Did we have roles? Did we have uh, kind of uh, kind of standard typical roles that we played in the family? Wow. Um, yeah. You know, I actually think we did, and and I think. I sometimes wonder if part of it was because I'm the only girl in the family and I, I maybe, you know, in kind of being the, the oldest, you know, maybe had a little bit of a mothering effect, especially after we lost our mother. Um, so that might've amped up a little bit. Um, we definitely, you and I do give our, our other brother, the, the middle sibling, a, a hard time at times for being that the, having the middle sibling qualities of never quite being old enough, but, you know, also not kind of the baby of the family. 
Um, and then you, Ryan, uh, you know, I, I still call you my baby brother, Ryan, and um, you're not a baby anymore. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think there there was some of that. And I think it did play out as we grew, uh, grew up. You know, I was tended to be the good kid. And, um, you know, and Jeff tended to be the rebel. And, uh, and you turned out to be the better kid. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, we did talk a little bit about the, uh, and my, my recollection was that around the dinner table and stuff like that, at least, at least I remember you guys laughing at me a lot. Was that because I was trying to be funny? Uh, <laughs> or what was that whole role about, do you think? Well, yeah, you were funny. You were entertaining. Um, you were adorable. Um, you were, you had sayings and, and things that you said that we still, maybe it's because we were a little older, so we could kind of grab onto that and, and kind of maybe in a way make fun of it. But it's part of our, our language today. Mm. Uh, for example, you called the potato peeler a shik-shik because of the noise it made. And I think everybody in our family and our, our extended family now calls it a shik-shik because of that. And that, that, that was from you. And it was both cute and also, you know, entertaining in some ways. That, it doesn't have another name, does it? Isn't it called a shik-shik? Is that, is that it, the official title? It is called a shik-shik. And I think we have four of them in our house right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yes. And, and I was just as, as another note here, just talking about the fact that, uh, you know, as far as us, the, the three of us as siblings, actually, I think having, having a text thread over the last couple of years has been one of the, one of the coolest parts for me, just uh, having that regular contact with one another, right? Well, yeah, I think it's been a fantastic way to just kind of stay, um, you know, stay connected and, and just, um, kind of bring up maybe some some old things that we all laugh at or know each other would find funny or heartwarming or insightful but it's it's almost like we have our own little I don't know if anybody else in the world would kind of understand some of what we're texting about or or anybody else would find it as funny or yeah. uh, heartwarming yeah that's right that's right yeah that's true yeah, we, we kind of have our own culture uh, that we grew up in, right? With our family and family vacations yeah. and traditions and all of that, right? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, we could sit around with, you know, I could sit around with my husband and tell him all I want about these things, but he's, he's not going to get it the same way no. uh, that, that you and, uh, and Jeff would get it. That's right. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. Well, uh, thank you, Barb for uh for coming on to talk about this stuff it's a nice little surprise for us all yeah thank you for having me and just remember i'm uh i'm the oldest so yeah. you, know, you always have to honor me <laughs> absolutely yeah nice really nice to meet you <laughs> thank you cool i'll call you later barb all right bye bye, bye barb <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I just texted her. I felt like she, we needed to have an oldest siblings perspective here, you know? That's perfect. Yeah, we thought you got called away uh, for something. So yeah, I was trying to drag out my, uh, my summary of the book there. <laughs> well, that, that worked out all right. <laughs> sure did. That's great. Yeah. Um, 
Well, thank you for the summaries. Uh, I think I would agree with everything you said. I think that it's, I think it's maybe a good starter for people. Um, if, if you're interested in siblings, I think there's a, it's a good place to start. Although I do think there are probably some other books that might address it a little more directly without so much of the story. Or if you're just into listening to the, the stories, that's good too. This is not a bad book to start with. So, so there we go. All of us give it a six. We don't know what our next book is going to be. Oh, are we going to do the pain one? Yes, we're going to do the pain one. What's that called? It's called the uh, the way out by uh, Alan Gordon. Okay, Alan Gordon or Corden? Uh, that's a good question. Let me double check. Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. Okay. Alan Gordon. All right. That will be our next book. That'll be in a month plus. And uh, we will get those books and move forward with that. Awesome. Okay, everybody. Well, then. Merry Christmas to right. all. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Yes. And uh, be kind to your siblings, everybody. I'll try. Yes. Be kind to the Jeffs in your life. We didn't really address the fact that we all have Jeffs as brothers, yeah. right? Older, older brothers named Jeff. Yeah. So if you find a Jeff, be kind to your Jeff. All right. So that's it for this time around. Merry Christmas and like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. Send your questions to infomentalhealthwithcap.com. Visit us on Facebook and Instagram. Tell a friend or two or tell your, just tell your siblings. And uh, that'll be enough. And we will bid you farewell and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye now. Bye. 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 B